0: Hi, I'm Helen Joy Butler and this is Musings on Sanctuary and Spirituality, a weekly podcast series where we talk about sanctuary, spirituality and everything in between. As a sanctuary creator and elemental space clearer, I help people create sanctuary in their homes and lives in practical, emotional and spiritual ways. In this podcast, we will be talking about sanctuary, spirituality, alignment, intention, and much more, all in the hope of supporting you on your own sanctuary and spiritual journey. I invite you to take time to pause, to settle in with today's episode, and if it feels right, to spend time journaling your thoughts and learnings afterwards because it's when you embody these learnings that you will achieve greater alignment in all aspects of your life. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome back to this episode of Musings on Sanctuary and Spirituality. I'm really excited to bring you this sanctuary chat which I had with the gorgeous Rowena Mabbitt. Rowena is a certified career and life confidence coach, a writer, consultant and mother to three boys, two living and one angel. The loss of her second son inspired Rowena to follow her heart. And leave her corporate HR role and become a certified coach. Rowena works with women and men who are seeking more from their career and life. In her lovingly practical way Rowena supports her clients to follow their heart in both career and life, gain confidence and clarity and rediscover the joy in their life. I really look forward to sharing this beautiful conversation with you so let's go see what Rowena has to share with us today. Hi Rowena, welcome to Musings on Sanctuary and Spirituality, it's absolutely
1: beautiful to have you here. Hi Helen, it's wonderful to be here, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Do you want to just share a little bit with us, a bit more about
0: who you are, where you live, you know, the magic that you weave in the world through, you know, the clients you work with?
1: Sure. So um, I'm Rowena Mabbitt. I'm a certified career and life confidence coach and I live in Sydney, Australia with my husband and two living children. And I have a son who has angel wings, um, which actually was why I became a coach. So um, he is the reason that I realised that what I was doing in my life was valuable, but it didn't light me up. And the loss of our second son really, kind of focus my mind around the fact that life is very short and it is precious and we are here to to do good in the world and um, working in a corporate role was fulfilling on a number of levels but it wasn't really what my heart was calling me to do and so after um, diving a bit deeply for a while, for a good few months, I realised that uh, becoming a coach was what I really wanted to do um, and so I retrained as a coach in my late 30s And so I've been doing that now for coming on four or five years. Um, And I work with clients, particularly women, um, around clarity and confidence. So support them to get more clear on what they want from life and to feel more confident. And sometimes as a career coach, that means helping them change roles. Sometimes it means helping them um, identify how they can make the most out of their current career if they don't particularly want to change. And I'm never an advocate of saying change for change's sake because um, that's not really ideal for many people, but we can always make things a little bit more positive for ourselves. And so that's what I tend to work with people around that, kind of helping them feel clear and confident. And part of that is they embrace um, a little bit more well-being and focus on themselves and re- rediscover, I guess, what makes them feel really positive and happy.
0: Yeah, because I imagine, Rowena, the, the journey that you went through after the loss of your beautiful boy. I'm going to cry <laughs> already. I am a bit of a crier. You know that. Absolutely. Um, I imagine going through that journey, you can bring that experience to your clients and that, you know, is on a practical basis as well. But, you know, here we are, we're talking about sanctuary. That's what we're. I'm all about. That's what this, you know, podcast is all about. How do you find sanctuary in and amongst something that's really heartbreaking whether that's a loss of a child whether that's a loss of a parent or partner or breakdown of a relationship or even perhaps a job that you you love there's obviously grief there so Mm -hmm. how do we step through you know in a really kind way we're kind of going deep really quickly aren't we (laughs) How do, we, how do we do this? How do we be gentle to ourselves in these
1: really challenging times? Um, that is such a good question. And for a long time after uh, my son's death, I wouldn't have known the answer to that. I was just going through the motions and surviving. Um, and that really meant, uh, because he was my second son, I already had a, had a toddler who was just 22 months when we lost Thomas. And, um, So I had a little boy who needed me to get up every day and be mum. And, you know, a 22-month-old child is fairly demanding in that you can't really do anything else when they're awake. And as most mums know, they don't sleep very much. (laughs) I particularly had a child who was not a great sleeper and still isn't. As, you know, as Mr. 13 and a half, he still struggles with getting to sleep and then staying asleep. I think it's just his nature. But look, in terms of that time of grief and how do we find sanctuary, it is often said, and it's very hard, and someone told me and I didn't really understand, they said, be kind to yourself. Um, And I actually think that's what the essence of sanctuary is about, is about finding what it is that nurtures you and giving that to yourself. And so the things I did for my son, it took me some time to realise I was nurturing him and I needed to shine that same nurturing light back on myself. Um, and through times of grief, that feels like the work. That is the work. Just getting through the day can be a huge achievement. Not in that you want to not get through the day, but just there's so much energy required. And grief is exhausting. Whether it be the grief of losing someone you dearly love of in any relationship, the loss of identity when you lose a job... Um, or even the, the struggles that many have experienced over the past few months with the uh, lockdowns and COVID-19 where things were canceled. And there was a lot of grief around that. And what's happening in the world, there's a lot of grief around that too. Um, and we're all processing that in our own way. But so I guess if there's kind of like a summary sentence, it would be about being kind to yourself. And what that looks like for each of us is different. Um, I think you and I have talked before that what, you and I might think of as kind, like maybe going and having a long soak in the bath or taking some time away uh, or going on a digital detox, whatever that might be, might be very different from our partner's version of being kind to ourselves. I know that your husband quite likes cycling, as does mine, and so going on a 100-kilometre bike ride might be their version of being kind to themselves. Or um, opening a bottle of very nice red wine, that might be their version of being kind to themselves. (laughs) Whereas I'll be like... I'm off. I'm going to go sit in my little quiet room and read a book. Yeah, with my cup of tea. Well, speaking of which, here's my cup of tea.
0: (laughs) Okay, so there's a few things I want to say there. So, firstly, what you've really described beautifully is the sanctuary languages. Because what you're saying is that, and I'm very much the same, that quiet solitude, you know, give me the book or the bath or the cup of tea, or just, you know, sitting on the grass or whatever. But my husband and yours, you know, it's that physical activity, but also, you know, the glass of red wine, you know, maybe that's that connection and collaboration because usually when you're having a glass of wine, you might be with somebody else and enjoying, you know, their company as well. But if we step back to something that you said as well, Rowena, which was, and I'm gonna try and make sure I get this right. When you were supporting your 22-month-old, And you realise that what you were gifting him in the time was what you needed to gift yourself. And I remember I went through this phase, you might remember, is about two or three years ago, I was talking a lot about highly sensitive people, highly sensitive children. And I say, I'm sharing this for two reasons. One, because I have a highly sensitive child who's now Mr 14 and a half, as Yarrowina has. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have... um, Highly sensitive people in their lives, whether they're children or not. So as I was um, bringing up my own child, who I clearly became aware of as highly sensitive, and parenting him, what I realised was that I was parenting myself. And that's obviously been an ongoing journey. But about two to three years ago, when I was doing a lot of writing about highly sensitive people, I realised that I was doing even more of the healing of myself by you know expressing myself getting those feelings out you know allowing my inner child to really present herself for you know full healing or full clarity to come I don't really know where I'm going with this I just feel like I needed to share that because I think we're all very busy women we're all you know on our own journeys we've all got our own stories to carry and we can make a choice to kind of push them aside, leave them there, not touch them, um, allow them to brew in the background to eventually they explode, or we can make that realisation that where we are now in our lives needs support and nurturing and what does that look like for us? So in and amongst your journey, your you realize that, you know, you needed to do that for yourself. Can you share a little bit, and um, hopefully this isn't... Um, I hope this is an okay question to ask. How? What about your husband? How was he given? You know, there's two people, two adults in a household grieving, um, and you know, trying to work out what this looks like for them. Was his journey quite different to yours?
1: Absolutely, very, very different. Um, I was very lucky that in that, those few months, and probably the well, the two years or so until my sec- my third child was born. Um, I actually joined a uh, support group that was run through the hospital. My social worker who was with me when Thomas was born, um, so most fabulous woman, she put me onto it. And I met two of my very best friends through that group. And we're still in touch. And our kids were born, our subsequent babies were all born within sort of 12, 15 weeks of each other. And we lost our first, our second children. In each case, it was all our second children, all boys. We lost all we lost those children all within about six or seven weeks of each other. So we have this incredible shared experience. Um, and so I had that fabulous connection support. So from that sanctuary languages perspective, I had those really, those people who had that shared experience and who I could see, I caught up with every, every week and we would create our own little play group and our kids would come and to whichever house or a park and we would just sit and talk. Um, and it was the best possible thing um, My husband, on the other hand, eventually had to return to work. So he had a month off, which was terrific in that immediate time. I mean, he was quite different. He threw himself into, he's an office worker, he's a corporate kind of guy, but he threw himself into creating. And so there was a lot of very hard physical work because he decided that he'd build an outdoor table um, from hardwood and use only hand tools. So there was no power saw, it was just a hand saw and he had you know, a table is now almost, it's too heavy for the both of us to lift, like it's, he's made it in two parts and we can still barely lift it. It's so heavy. Um, and then once he'd made that and that was quite healing for him, he realised he wasn't quite there yet. And so then he decided to make matching bench chairs. Um, now he's not someone who I prior to this had done a lot of kind of handiwork stuff. Um, he's a philosopher by background. And so he's very partial to sitting down with his red and a book and just um, even jokes about how he'd quite like to have been a hermit if that had been the way his life had worked out. I don't think he means that. I think it's definitely a joke. But um, his way of healing then was very different. And then he went back to work. Um, so he didn't really have that same support structure. And with the benefit of hindsight now, I think his grief process was very internalized and he wouldn't talk about it. And I also am very aware that he was through his own kindness, not telling me about his grief because he knew I was struggling to deal with my own and being aware of my sons. Um, But I do think he he did speak to his own dad a little bit um, and they would have quiet conversations um, on the phone i think each of them had a whiskey or something at the other end of the phone
0: that's and lovely
1: <laughs> a quiet conversation and he'd take himself outside for that so that he had a little bit of privacy because the house we were in didn't have a lot of private spaces at that time so yeah, it was a very different process and it took i think until the birth of my third son for him to not feel quite so sad mm-hmm. um Certainly, that the first anniversary of the loss of Thomas, that does feel like a turning point um, for both of us, that whole year of first, a lot of people talk about it when you have lost a loved one. The first year is very, very hard. And the first of everything without that person, um, even when that person, you're expecting there to be a baby at Christmas time, and then there's not a baby. And you're expecting that you know, Father's Day or Mother's Day, but you're meant to have two kids here, not one. And the family photos were meant to have you and the, your current child and the other one. Um, and, the, you know, so there's all of those firsts
0: mm.
1: get through. Um, so one, that was the turning point, I think. But, yeah, his process was very different. I'm not sure if I really answered your question, but my process was weekly support with these two beautiful women, um, and the, the fathers, in the, their husbands were also good support for James, but he doesn't want to talk to people. He's a very private person. So, yeah, yeah, dealt with it his own way.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get to around this is whatever the situation is and whether we're, you know, in a grieving space or whether we're trying to work out what sanctuary looks like for us or whether we're trying to work out, you know, even what direction should I take in my career, it's a very much a personal process. Very much to have you know some support or some structure and also kind of what i heard there was be a little bit surprised at what might come because i guarantee you would never have said oh my husband's going to go and build
1: us a table now no but it's the most beautiful wonderful thing yeah because we know there is so much love poured into that you know that was his way of processing because i think when my mum explained it beautifully she said when you have another child, it doesn't take away the love from your first child. There's just more love. It just multiplies. And so when you haven't got the living being to pour that love onto or into, it has to go somewhere because it's been growing all that time whilst the baby was, you know, you love it as soon as you find that positive pregnancy test. Mm. So when, what do you do with all of that love? So he channeled his into creation, which was beautiful, and created this gorgeous, hardwood, stunning table and chairs. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Oh, my gosh. I think I'm going to cry again. I feel like I'm. I'm we're, we're recording this on the new moon in cancer. <laughs> so I'm feeling really emotional today. I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, I would like to share this card at this stage, Rowena. So the regular listeners of the podcast know that I pull an Oracle card to help guide our journey through our conversation. And they're from the Gaia Oracle deck by Tony Soleno. And this card is absolutely gorgeous. It's got a full moon at the top, and then we've got this lovely lady lying naked on top of what looks like water, resting her eyes closed, and over her body are a whole heap of love hearts as well as like lines, I wanna say lay lines for some reason across her body. And then the words on it say lost love, and underneath that surrender healing and release i feel as though that that's what we've been talking about inadvertently um even though before we pressed you know record to start this conversation we were talking about your work in relation to this card but we seem to have gone down a different path which is okay that's what conversations are all about Absolutely. so when i when i see that card what i think of It's kind of like an invitation to wear those wounds, to allow them to be a beautiful part of our soul's journey while we're here. But also with that full moon there, it's like, how can I release some of the pain, some of the discomfort, some of the maybe the anger or the frustration or whatever the emotions are to then fully claim them and and I'm going to say be grounded or centred in myself. Is anything coming to you when you see that Rowena?
1: Um, very similar to what you're saying. Um, I particularly like your referencing the full moon and releasing it because I think a lot of the people that I do work with now, um, even if they've not lost someone, if they're not dealing with grief, there is always a bit of releasing the expectations that they've placed on themselves, releasing the expectations that others placed on themselves, and... Um, which in turn, inhibits them from being genuinely happy in their authentic self. And I don't use the word authentic self too much because it's a very coachy language. Um, and What does it really mean? But if we re- re- kind of reflect upon it from a sanctuary perspective, sanctuary is for me kind of a safe, secure place. And it's being a sense of calm, the ability to completely be oneself um, and, to kind of be very relaxed, retreat, nourished, nurtured. All of those words come to mind for me when you think of the sanctuary. And if I look at that beautiful card, part of that is releasing all of the extraneous stuff, that stuff that stops you from being able to be yourself and wearing those hearts and um, embracing being yourself.
0: Mm.
1: So the question from that is, how do we do that? $10 dollar
0: <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean, it's a tricky one, right? Because often we feel we have limitations. And some of those limitations, I mean, someone I'm running the Welcome Home course, Sanctuary Immersion at the moment, and one of the ladies in there said, I've just realised I'm my biggest block. And to actually get to that is amazing. That's a massive, massive learning for that lady because we often think well it's this situation or it's this house or this relationship or this job or this whatever but when we come back to what you've just shared around you know what sanctuary means to you it's really like well i'm 100 percent responsible for what this looks like
1: yep completely agree and that's it's so interesting that you shared that because the ladies that i'm working with in my um collective which is used to be called a mastermind but we decided that a collective sounded far more Positive and more actually aligned to what we're like. Um, we are talking about similar things about how do we be our, our full self and what does that look like um, and what's stopping us. And it is invariably mindset stuff um, where we have either internalized other people's expectations and created that as a limiting something lim- that limits us from doing things, or they are blocks that we have, I want to say, manufactured. Um, they often aren't real. And so frequently the way that th- some of the things I've been diving into over the last few months, um, I've taken approach of um, designing your season. And because it's winter whilst we're doing this, my season of winter, I was really focusing on my, one of my signature strengths, which is love of learning. And so I've been diving deep into learning more about signature strengths, <laughs> very funnily. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of work with, around strengths with my clients and with the girl, ladies in my various groups that I'm part of. And it's really interesting to see that when we more fully are aware of our strengths and embrace those, it is far easier for us to feel like we can just be ourselves. Because these are the things, these are like um, kind of personality characteristics, if you like, where when we bring them out, everything feels easier and we're happier and work feels like it's a dream and family relationships go smoothly and we feel like we're flourishing. So working with people in that space that feels really beautiful, and it helps them achieve whatever they want to achieve, whether it be sanctuary, whether it be well-being, whether it be greater happiness in their career, whether it just be generally connecting back in with themselves, which is all the stuff that you know both you and I talk about these kind of things. Um, so that's kind of where I'm thinking at the moment around that. But how do we do it? We discover what our strengths are, and that helps. It's not like a this is the answer and here is, you know, it's like an A plus B equals C kind of equation, but it's one of the many factors that we can build in um, that helps people rediscover how do I be myself? How do I create that element of sanctuary in my life? Whether it be in my home, whether it be in my relationships, whether it be at work, whether it just be with me.
0: Mm,
1: mm.
0: And I think we all know what those strengths are. Um, It's just often we, number one, might not give ourselves permission to own them because they might be not perhaps, in inverted commas, you know, societally accepted, Um, particularly if you're an empath or an intuitive or you have any of those kind of um, clear abilities. Um, But also it's it's voicing it because once you own it, okay, I've got this, I can own this in my body. Things will start to shift and change around you anyway. But then sometimes you have to voice it. You have to voice it to the partner or voice it um, to family members or whoever so that you can keep that alignment going.
1: Absolutely. And I think actually that's a great point, Helen. That's the baby step. Mm. Like if you think what's one small thing I can do today to bring myself more sanctuary or to be more aligned with who I want to be. I love to talk to my clients about the intentionality so, you know, how do you be very deliberate about what you want to do? Um, how do you you live your life with intention? Because that was kind of my key learning after the loss of Thomas is I don't want to go through my life like it's just some kind of day after day, same old, same old. I don't want to be on a path that I get to a certain age and look back and go, what was I thinking? That was not me. I want to be quite intentional about what I choose to do. And so by asking ourselves that one small thing, what is the baby step that I can take? And it could just be acknowledging that you have a strength and voicing it. You don't have to voice it to someone else if that's too hard. I'd say the first baby step might be just looking in the mirror and telling yourself, or even just writing it on a bit of paper. Um, Because that's that first awareness of saying, Hey, I'm a highly intuitive person or, you know, my gift in the world is that I am brave or that my gift in the world is that I'm honest, you know, And knowing that they are strengths and then owning them and sharing them, even if it's just initially to yourself, that's the first step.
0: Totally. I mean, I had to do that for months. And I think that's okay because it does build that muscle, that muscle, that bravery muscle or whatever that is. I think the thing that was flashing for me because I could hear all of the creative listeners going, but I want to have a first step and I don't mean that they're not um, able to do that. What I mean is that often creative people are full of ideas and full of 100 things to do and full of, you know, a different way of thinking than the Virgo lady I'm talking to and the Virgo moon in me. Um, so I think this is just an invitation to say, well, what was, if you are a creative person, what is
1: that one thing that would maybe bring more creativity to your day? even just acknowledging that you're creative just say, I'm a creative person. Um, I, my son, the younger one, uh, has, is incredibly creative. He's always singing little songs and making up wonderful, incredibly elaborate stories when he's just on his own playing and he's talking like you can hear him. He's talking it all out. He's doing the voices. He's making these incredible stories. Um, and even when he describes the games that he plays at lunchtime at school, they're very intricate and very complex. Um, with you know multiple levels and rules and it's quite um, challenging the seven minute walk home from school usually is full of just him explaining the game they were playing at lunch that he had devised for the other kids to play which is beautiful and he actually he and I sat down last week during school holidays and he actually did the strengths test because he said I'll do this for you I'm sure that sounds fun Um, and of course it was a no-brainer that creativity was right up there he has never acknowledged that he's creative whenever we talk to him about saying no of course you're creative he goes no i'm not i don't like art and so his mind was very narrow like his own blocks were that creative equals art and i don't like doing coloring in and so therefore i'm not creative now this is a 10 year old and i'm sure the listeners are not generally 10 year olds um but even just acknowledging that you are a creative being and that your creativity comes in different ways shapes and forms that is a huge gift to the world and maybe that's not you don't want to call it a first step but it's part of that awareness and stepping into those things that bring you joy creativity brings you joy step forward into that by just voicing it
0: mm, absolutely and it took a friend of mine which is hilarious because my other sanctuary language is creativity so my first one is quiet solitude and my second one is creativity and it took a friend only i think it was about I want to say within the last six months, say to me, Helen, you do realise that creativity for you is through your clothes. And, you know, as much as I like, like I've done sculpting, I've done painting, I've done macrame, I've done weaving, like I've done pretty much nearly anything you can make with your hands, except probably woodwork. <laughs> um but, you know, on a daily basis, and it was the clothes and it was, you know, how do I put this together or, or what what might look a bit weird, but who cares? I like the feel and look of it. It's, it's starting to, as you've said, look at creativity in other ways other than here's a paintbrush or here's a pencil.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm also hearing from you that there is a strength around appreciation of beauty because mm you put things together you like things to have a certain look and you appreciate them when they look you know it's not kind of i'll just chuck on some track pants and a hoodie i don't think i've ever seen you in track pants hoodie um possibly if you're gardening but i imagine even then (laughs) but you know it's it's part of that's part of the strengths as well is that you enjoy things looking a certain way and you have a good eye for aesthetics which is then you're bringing forward that strength whilst you're playing with the clothes in the creative environment, which means, then I look at those and I'd say, as a, um, if you were my client, we'd talk about how you can bring more of that in. But you're already giving a classic example about when we share, when we do small things every day, create habits around our strengths, that's the simplest way for us to embrace them.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely. And to create that energetic shift that we want. Because when you were talking then and I was spoken about this a few times, it's like if I walk into a display home, because most of us have been into a display home before, you know, it's beautiful, it's brand new, the styling's gorgeous, everything looks lovely, but there's something missing. It's like there's a soul missing from The the personal touch. Exactly. So then when you look at your own space and you might bring in things from your travels or something that mum gave you for Christmas or whatever. That's what starts to bring the soul into the space and to create, I call them vignettes, but to create those beautiful little spaces um, and it can even be on your bed, you know, you've got the lovely throw rug that someone gifted you or, you know, photos of family members or, I don't know, vases of flowers, whatever that is that you're bringing into your space to start to create that soul in and amongst, you know,
1: everything else that goes on (laughs) in your household. I think that to me, Helen, is sanctuary, because that's the whole, the safe and secure element is, you know, meaning that you can be yourself and it is, it's secure, you are secure in that you can be yourself. Um, and I guess there's elements of the security as well as that it's, you know, somewhere where you can feel protected. Um, but absolutely that idea of sharing the things that make sense, that are meaningful to you, I guess. Um, So I can, behind me here, this one with the butterflies, that's something I made. So that's a creative thing. The and is to remind me that there's always more. I actually made it, I got it for my boys because they were going to share a room and it was going to be one name and the other name. Um, But then they didn't want to do that anymore. (laughs) So I just kept the and. (laughs) On this side, it's to the moon and back, which is my thing for Thomas because I will always love him to the moon and back. There is a beautiful blanket that my dad brought back from Nepal. Like, it's all different things that are meaningful to me. Um, and I know behind you, for example, you've got some beautiful um, your know, artworks that you've created. You've got your different uh, space clearing items and other gorgeous things. And those are what make a home a home and also make that sense of sanctuary. I know years ago when we, um, you were very helpful for me when I was moving house and setting up our family in a very small apartment for a period of time. And I told you, I shared with you that my mission was to try and make sure that house felt like a sanctuary. That apartment for that year, the 12 months it would be in there, even though it would be squeezy, um, that it would feel sanctuary-like. And part of what you shared with me at that time was around bringing in that element of what's going to, what's going to feel like sanctuary for the whole family. Um, and it was interesting. I remember sharing with you that at that time when... Within two weeks of us moving in, my husband plonked himself on the lounge and goes, "Well, this feels like a holiday," and I figured that was like success. You know, that was my equivalent of oh, "I've done it," because on holidays we generally feel relaxed, and if you can come home to a space where you feel safe, secure, and relaxed, to me that says sanctuary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so important to look at whoever
0: else you're living with. Yes. Yeah because I think we probably both know of people who think, well, my house has to be this way. and has to be this look or this thing. And it's their vision and that's okay. But there's all these other people. It's like our teenagers' bedrooms. It's like, this is now his responsibility.
1: <laughs> let's not talk about those.
0: Uh, so let's move on a little. So let's talk about spirituality. So... What practices specifically have you got, Rowena, that kind of bring, you know, this beautiful woman into the world that keeps you grounded, keeps you focused, keeps you, you know, on your own spiritual path? Because this, to me, is alignment. And, you know, as we, I mean, we're called Musings on Sanctuary and Spirituality, so obviously I see a strong connection between the two. So I'm assuming some of your um, sanctuary practices equal spirituality, but have you also got any other specific practices you do daily or weekly or otherwise?
1: Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because you call them spiritual practices and when I work with my clients, I often call them anchors because uh, corporate clients particularly don't always love, if I talk about spirit spirituality, they kind of freak out a little or at least their their blinkers go on. Um, So my anchors, if you like, and my spiritual practices are that I get up early. So I get up earlier than my family, primarily so I can have some quiet me time. Um, And so that's when I do my things that actually are all about restoring me and bringing my sanctuary so that I can start the day from a place of all those words I said, you know, calm and centered and grounded. So I start with a meditation. Um, Once I've come downstairs, so I come down to this office, which is my space. No one's allowed in here. They do love to come in and annoy me, but there is a door. So <laughs> my space that was the deal. <laughs> in a house full of men, this is, my, this is the girl space. Um, so I come in in the morning and I meditate. Um, it varies how long. Sometimes it's 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes it's half an hour. It just depends on how I'm feeling. Then I do some exercise. Again, in here, just in the quiet by myself. Um, usually, like a seven minute workout type of thing, which doesn't sound very sanctuary like, but it helps get the blood moving and it's a good time for me to process things because I'm just physically moving. Um, then I follow it with the most beautiful seven minute, seven or eight minute um, chakra yoga practice. So that's really connecting back in to making sure I'm really aligned. So it kind of is kind of like a little bit of a meditation as well because I have some beautiful music that I just use for. When I do my yoga um, and it finishes with all the alignment and the blessings and everything else. So it's, um, and I can, I do it facing East. So there's that real, as the sun's coming up or sometimes it's still dark. I'm doing my yoga, doing my sun salutes, at least in the direction that the sun would be appearing if it was light. <laughs> um, and then I follow it with some affirmations, which are just more positive reminders to myself that, you know, I've got this um, and all the, you know, the various other things. And, Sometimes they feel like I'm just going through the motions and sometimes I really take on board all those, the messages to myself that I've written down and then say back to myself. So I do that every single morning. Um, even on Saturday and Sunday, the bit on Saturday, Sunday that I often skip is the actual cardio workout. (laughs) And I take it a little bit more gently and I do the meditation and then some gentle yoga stretching and then the affirmations. Um, so it does take a little while, but that's why I get up a bit earlier than everybody else. Um, and then once I've done all those things, I feel like I've kind of grounded myself and then I can go and be the mum who has to make the school lunches and get the breakfasts and jolly the kids along and, um, you know, get the loads of washing on or out or whatever might need to be done. So that's really my that's my core spiritual practice for myself. The other, At the end of the day, I then have a gratitude journal, which is reminding me, um, it's reconnecting with my soul at the end of the day and what makes me grateful. And so I write them down, a minimum of three, sometimes as many as 10. It just depends on the day. Um, and it's, it's a journaling process, but it's also very much focused on all the good things in the world that I'm grateful for. Um, so it's not like a list. So it'll be far more, um, you know, I'm grateful for the energy of this person when they showed up and I needed them. Those kind of things, which is a much more spiritual approach to gratitude, than perhaps you know. I'm grateful for a yummy dinner, which is my kid's favourite gratitude. <laughs> um, well, that's the other thing we do is around the dining table. Uh, we do each day they are asked one thing that they learnt from the day, and then three things, minimum of three things that they're grateful for. Invariably, thankful for a yummy, grateful for a yummy dinner pretty much comes on every night, which is very nice for me because I like hearing that. But it is kind of like a bit of a cheating one, I think, as if you're on a spiritual journey, that's a I feel like that's kind of like low hanging fruit. <laughs> like you can probably work a little harder and get a slightly better um not better, but a, a more meaningful gratitude that you can can bring in.
0: Mm. Well there are children. They'll um they'll, you know, evolve into it. <laughs>
1: And there's one more thing that I do, which is the, my walks in nature. So whilst that is physical exercise again, I've realised when I don't do them that my, my spirit, my soul struggles. And it's been a realisation, a dawning of realisation, if you like, that I always knew I liked going for a walk, particularly because I've got a big park and if I can get by water, even better. But part of it is grounding just being in nature away from the noise of cars or other people. Like I love to just go by myself. Um, The other element is to experience that sense of awe and wonder that comes from when you are in a space where it's bigger than you are. Um, So whether it be on the beach early in the morning watching the sunrise, which has to be my absolute all-time favourite thing to do, but of course it happens maybe once or twice a year, so it's not a regular occurrence. But walking through the, uh, we've got a very large local park where there are some, you know, 150-year-old giant fig trees, and seeing the awe like experiencing awe and wonder when you see that, is quite a spiritual experience, um, and because of that, I think it helps shift your perspective. Well, it helps shift my perspective. It puts everything that I'm worrying about, kind of gives it a little bit of a reality check and shifts my yeah, shifts my perspective about things. That's quite a, and it. For me, it's a really important spiritual practice, but I think it's quite accessible for many people as well, that you just go without headphones or anything else and just go and be in the environment and actually be aware and open to these feelings of awe and wonder.
0: Mm, that's so beautiful. We um, went down to somewhere where there's water, um, like in the, at the bay on the Sunday and just sat there. And, you know, we didn't really need to talk, but it, it was like that. It was just taking in the expanse and obviously the energy of of the space as well. I just want to ask one quick question around your um, practices, Rowena. Yeah. Did it take you a long time to get to that, I want to say routine, but what I'm really asking is often as spiritual practitioners, we hear what other people are doing or see what other people are doing or have done a course or whatever, and we think have got, got to do that and so we take on all of these practices and then you know they might be a good fit for us or they might not and i kind of talk about it like a bit of a recipe so did it take a while for you to get to your unique recipe with your morning practice particularly
1: um and you know maybe those other little touch points during the day absolutely it's constantly evolving um I love that you talk about it as a recipe because that's exactly what it is. And you know, cakes are always good, right? And you can even leave out the sugar, and they still taste fine. Um, if you, particularly if you used um, mashed banana, as I discovered the other day, I didn't leave out the sugar. <laughs> I just, I just completely forgot. It was edible. It just wasn't quite as good. Um, so, and yeah, absolutely. It's taken me probably, in conscious thought, at least five years, to get to a point now that I can say. This is my morning routine and it works. Um, this year, 2020, I think has probably been the, the what I just described is has been consistent. Um, prior to that, the meditation bit fell in and fell out. Um, the gratitudes in the evening have been pretty consistent, but I used to try and meditate before I did my gratitudes or after I did my gratitudes. What I generally found was that I fell asleep, which was lovely mm-hmm. and really useful, but I didn't feel like I was getting the full benefits. Um, So then I decided to switch it to the morning and it was um, quite immediately beneficial. Like I could feel the difference within a day or two. I was certainly much calmer with the kids, which was probably good, (laughs) especially this year, given what's happened. um, There's been a lot more call for calmness.
0: Yes, definitely. I just think it's amazing that you stuck with it for so long because I think a lot of people um, would after not five years, (laughs) a much shorter period of time gone, oh, you know, this isn't working. And what I'm really hearing from that, and I know it's my own journey as well, it's we have to show up for ourselves. We have to, Particularly if things are resonating with us, we have to keep trying them. We have to keep doing them. We have to, because you would know that from the physical yoga that you're doing, the benefits on a physical level with your body. Mm. Uh, But then obviously from a spiritual level, um, also practical level, the benefits of the meditation. So we just have to keep backing ourselves and keep putting ourselves as a priority on that list.
1: Absolutely. And I think also acknowledge that it changes. Um, there's a quote that I've actually got on a post-it note above my computer, and it's a constant reminder. And I think it actually applies for our sanctuary journey. So if you don't, I'll share it if you don't mind. It's by Theodore Roosevelt, and it says, "Do what you can with what you have where you are." And I just think that for me is pretty much my daily reminder of just be here right now and do what you can now. You know, so do what you can with what you have where you are Um, and it applies for so many things but if we think about it from a sanctuary perspective it's permission just to say what's right today might not be right tomorrow but that's okay as long as you're doing something that feels right with what you've got right now
0: yeah and it's that one little step as we've already spoken about yeah moving forward so let's start in with the very last you know proper official question um, that i ask all my sanctuary chat ladies is if you were to leave the listener with one piece of advice on their sanctuary journey,
1: what would it be? Mm. Maybe that quote, you know, to, to do what you can with what you have, where you are, because acknowledging it's a journey and that what you need on a daily basis will change. And like all journeys, sometimes it's a little bit windy and, You know, sometimes there's a long straight bit, and it's a little bit dull and boring. Um, But just do what you can where you are with what you have. Um, That's the way I've been working through sanctuary and whatever form that takes, for however long I've been working with you, Helen. (laughs) Very long time now. (laughs) About it, too much. But also, I would add to that, keeping it simple. Um, It doesn't have to be huge and elaborate, and it's what works for you which is part of that do what you can with what you have. Where you are, it's about as simple as it needs to be and it needs to be personal, Mm. which is the journey aspect, right? Everybody's trip is a little bit different.
0: Definitely, definitely. We can still support each other along the way. Always. Always. So thank you. This has been amazing, amazing. Where can people find you, Rowena, when they want to reach out and connect with you?
1: Okay. Best place is my website, which is just com, And from there you can get um, connection to the various uh, social media platforms. Primarily I'm on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. You're a LinkedIn person. I managed, well, not managed. I chose to leave LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> yeah. I figure that's where I have, um, I have a bit of a history being a corporate background. Um, but Instagram and Facebook, I'm on quite a bit, probably. But the best way is my through my website because you can get all the different connections that way and it's easy to remember. It's just my name with a .com on the end of it.
0: Yes, yes. And I will share the link to that in the show notes as well, Rowena, so that people can get straight to you as well. So thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you, Helen. It's been my pleasure and so much fun. What a beautiful way to start the morning. Thank you so much for being here with me today, talking about sanctuary and spirituality. I hope that the learnings you received in this episode are helpful for you on your own journey. But as always, I'm here to support you. So if you would like, please do reach out and share your thoughts with me. And also please feel free to like, share, comment or review this episode. If you'd like to connect with me more, please go to my website, HelenJoyButler.com. And I invite you also to join the Sanctuary Inner Circle. That's our beautiful group who talk about sanctuary spirituality and everything in between. But until next time, take care and much love.